In Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, we read the Christmas story that we all witnessed here this morning. Uh, It says, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. The manger. <clears throat> of all the particulars uh, found in the first Christmas story, the one that I find so symbolically perfect is the manger. And uh, the long-awaited Christ child, the Messiah, the King, Jesus Christ, was born, and they laid him in a stable's manger, better known as a food trough for livestock. And so, so why is that so perfect? Well, because it symbolizes, I think, everything that the child will be, uh, which I guess can best be expressed with the idea of God became flesh, and in his humility, he became one of us. You see, I think there are a number of reasons for God's divine plan of having this one and only son born in a little town of Bethlehem, born of a virgin, born in a stable, laid in a manger. And the first reason is because, I mean, could it be that God wanted to identify with us in our struggles? I mean, maybe one reason for the humble manger is that God wanted to identify with our struggles. Case in point, the Bible starts off in John's gospel describing the Christmas story like this. John says, and the word became flesh. I mean, we sing the words, Emmanuel, God is with us. And with his birth, life, and death as a man, Jesus established one simple truth that all of us can remember when life gets hard. And that is that he knows, he knows what it's like. Uh, so, so maybe that's the reason for the manger, so that you and I would know that he understands how we live. Okay, how we feel. I mean, maybe you're having a hard time making ends meet at this particular time of the year. Well, the Bible says that the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Maybe during this Christmas season, in the midst of all these family gatherings, your takeaway is, my family just doesn't get me. Okay, well, the Bible in Mark's gospel describes this time when Jesus was doing ministry and his family heard what he was doing and saying, and they went, the Bible says, to go take charge of him. They said, he's out of his mind. So yeah, even Jesus' family early on, they they didn't get him. They didn't get him. They didn't understand what he was about. Or maybe you feel this morning like you've been betrayed or abandoned by a close friend. Well, Psalms prophesies that about Jesus and says, even my close friend whom I trusted, who who I shared my bread with, has, has lifted his heel against me. And one of Jesus' closest friends, Peter, betrayed him and abandoned him. Maybe you've been unfairly treated. Well, Isaiah 53, 5 says that the Messiah, Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our transgressions. The punishment we deserved, he took upon himself. And so the truth is, is is it true to say that, yes, Jesus understands our struggles in life? Well, yeah, it's truth. You read about it in his life, and you start to know that, yeah, he understands. In fact, the book of Hebrews says it. It says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our time of need. In other words, we don't serve a God that doesn't get it, okay? He gets it, and he knows what it's like. And because of that truth, the Hebrew writer goes on in chapter 4, verse 16, and says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Why? Because God knows what it's like to be one of us. Now, I want to take a moment here and point 
out that this is because, uh, uh, because of Jesus can't identify with us, that mercy is extended. That's the very purpose. I mean, do you see that church family? Being one of us leads to us having mercy, okay? I point that out because years ago, and I've told this before, but uh, since then, I've shared this with staff whenever this kind of thing happens to them. But years ago, when I, I shared publicly, uh, back, back 20 years ago, we used to uh, make prayer requests public on Sunday morning. We'd call them out from the floor and the people, and then we'd pray about them. Anyway, I shared publicly with the congregation a personal prayer request on a Sunday morning, and the request was because I was having all four of my wisdom teeth pulled that week. Any of you remember this? Yeah, how, how many of you have ever had wisdom teeth pulled? I was to the dentist this week. This is why I'm kind of reminded. Yeah, yeah, not cool, right? I mean, as an adult, getting your wisdom teeth is not cool. I mean, the dentist had to almost put a knee on my chest to get that one out, you know? And, and I mean, in the end, he cut that tooth into four parts, pulled them separately, and then was going on about how, how they had hooks or the roots had hooks or something like that. I mean, they were showing it around to staff like it, they were going to put it in a trophy case or something. It was, it was that cool, I guess. But the point is, when I shared my request that Sunday morning, hoping that everyone would have a little mercy and pray for me, the church family, you all began to laugh. You know, and, and uh, like there was something funny about what I was about to experience. And when someone, something similar happens to a staff member today, I tell them all about that time. And I tell them that those laughs mean one of two things. One, it means it's time for you to move on to your next ministry. Or two, it means they're all sick, and, and, but it's all good because it also means they consider you one of them. And every time it happens to me, I just go with number two and assume I'm one of them, okay? The point is, one day, over 2,000 years ago, God came to earth, and he became one of us. He became one of us, and maybe God's message in the manger is it's his way of telling us that we're in this together. I, I, I know what it's like. Or secondly, maybe God wanted to set an example of humility for us to follow. I mean, God could have just told us how to live from his throne in heaven. Uh, he didn't do that. He came here to earth, and he showed us how to live. And we should note, with his birth, with his life, and even with his death as a man, Jesus violated uh, pretty much every tenet the world's, of the world's value system. And now he calls us to do the very same thing, to swim against the current, to look to, at the world in an upside-down manner. I mean, you can see it in the manger. You know, you can see it in the manger. The Son of God, the Messiah King, is born in a shelter for animals, okay? And there's no attendance present, and there's nowhere for him to be laid down except his feeding trough. And so the most pivotal event in history, human history, I mean, today it divides our calendar into two parts, before and after, most likely had more animal witnesses than human witnesses. I mean, you talk about an upside-down entrance into the world, and, and it didn't stop there, for the way Jesus lived was always upside down from the way the world did things. And, and now the manger beckons all of us to follow in his steps. In fact, in Philippians 2, when Paul's talking about how we should live, he uses the humility of Christ as an example. He says this in verses 3 through 8. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you should look to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so he says, in humility, 
your example is Jesus. And your attitude should be the same of Christ who gave up the throne room of heaven for a manger and a stable. Thirdly, maybe the point of the manger is God wanted to demonstrate his power. I mean, maybe God wanted to demonstrate his power, so he chose this humble manger. Maybe that's it, because as you read through the scripture, I mean, that's the kind of the way God works. He's all, I mean, he's always choosing the most unlikely people, the most unlikely things, and the most unusual places to accomplish his purposes. And I think he does it for one very simple reason, and that is because he can you know, I mean, he doesn't need any help. So maybe the reason he begins with the manger is God's way of saying, I can do it even starting out here. You know, even with this, that's just how powerful I am. And in doing so, it demonstrates to the world, this is who I am. I'm this powerful. I mean, let's compare the birthplace of Jesus to the palace of the king of that day. I mean, King Herod, okay? And, and people still go there today, and they see this. King Herod lived in a palace that we know as the Herodian. It was the third largest palace in the world at the time. Its building sat on 45 acres of land. I mean, envision this. It sat on a hill and, and was more than 90 feet tall. It was surrounded by more than 200 acres of palace grounds. There was this huge swimming pool with exotic gardens. I mean, all in all, it's a pretty impressive sight, even to this day, okay? But let me tell you wh where it was located because it was located just three miles from a little village that sat down in the valley, and it was called Bethlehem. And so there's no question that Mary and Joseph, uh, where they stood, they could have looked up and they'd seen this palace. But Jesus didn't come into the world as royalty. He didn't come into a place like that. God knocked out all the earthly props. He removed all the crutches. Why? Because he doesn't need them. He doesn't need any help. One Bible scholar wrote, you see, if he'd been born the son of a king, people would have looked at his life and said, well, look what political power can do. If he'd been born in a wealthy, into a wealthy family, people could have looked at his life and said, well, look at what money can do. If he would have been born into a prominent family, a famous family, people could have looked at his life and said, well, look what fame can do. But he was born to be poor to a teenage girl from a nothing town called Nazareth who was married to a simple carpenter, and he was laid to rest in a feed trough. And you look at his life, and the only thing that you can really say is look at what God can do. So maybe that's God's reasoning for the manger. I hope so, because I don't know about you, but I oftentimes feel like a Mary or a Joseph, you know, just very unworthy, very ordinary, don't you? I mean, I mean, I mean my prayer is that he can still use unlikely people in unusual places to accomplish his purpose. I mean, in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, Paul describes how God works this way. He says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were and, and you, know, w you know, when you were called. Think of what you were when you were called. Now listen to this list, friends, because it's a list of what you were not. Okay, it's a list of what you were not. Paul says, not many of you were wise by human standards, right? Not many, okay? Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. Okay, but God chose the foolish things. Now he's going to tell you what you are. God, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to, 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 to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things of this world, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. How cool is that? Some of my favorite verses right there. I mean, do you see it, friends? The good news is God likes to use things that are not, that are not, okay? And, and boy, I'm glad, 
Aren't you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I'm. I, I, I sat down this week and I made a. I made a little list of all the things I'm not. Okay. Well, not all the things because it got kind of long and I didn't want any more. But uh, anyway, the first one right up that hit my mind was uh, I, I'm not much of a mechanic. Okay. Trust me, no one wants me working on their car or anything that's mechanical. And I'm not much of a plumber, and I'm not much of an electrician. Electricity kind of scares me, actually. And as I thought about it this week, well, I could make quite the list of things that I'm not. But there are a few things that I'm okay at, okay, but only by the grace of God. For instance, a few years back, by the grace of God, I was blessed with a snowblower. Have I ever told you about my snowblower church family? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got a good one, okay? Yeah, and I do love my snowblower, okay? Matter of fact, I was hoping we'd get a little more snow than what we got, you know? But anyway, I love my snowblower. And do you know you can do a lot of good in your neighborhood with a snowblower? You can. And so I guess the point of it all is, even for a man with limitations, and I have a lot of them, because there are lots of things that I am not, okay? Nonetheless, every once in a while, by the grace and the power of God, he uses me. He uses me. And if God can use me, then he can use you too. And so even I am keenly aware that there are a lot of things that I am not. But the manger reminds me that when I give it over to God, he can still work. That's just how powerful he is. Lastly, and perhaps the main reason for the manger was that God wanted to make a statement about his incredible love for you. And I think of all the reasons of the manger, this is the one that's above all the others. The real reason for the humble manger is that God wanted to make a statement about his incredible love for you, and nothing says I love you like an incredible act of self-sacrifice. See, the manger answers the question of how far will God go to say, I love you. And God says, I'll go this far. I'll go this far, okay? And so he finds perhaps the lowliest image, the lowliest symbol, and that is what he's born into. Luke chapter 2 says, And she gave birth to a son, she wrapped him in cloth, and she laid him in a manger. And in doing so, God became one of us, and he came to earth so that we might see his love. So listen, friends, this Christmas morning, uh, let me encourage you to see Christmas, okay? See Christmas. Uh, see the stable behind the inn. It's, not, it's pretty small, not, not much bigger probably than a one-car garage, okay? Smell, smell this Christmas, uh, and it's not what you would expect to smell. I mean, it doesn't smell like pumpkin pie or apple pie. It smells more like animals and urine, manure. Hear the goats and the sheep and see this nasty, filthy, dirty feed trough and watch as the creator of the world is laid to rest in it and say to yourself, he did all that for me do that and you'll understand the reason for the manger and of course the manger is not the ultimate image of god's humility the ultimate image is the cross behind it was born he was born into a wooden manger and he died on a wooden cross to save us from our sins bottom line two thousand years ago i mean he's done everything that he can do he's taken every step towards you that he could possibly take he's taken that step and so the truth is, on this wonderful Christmas morning, if a step still needs to be taken, you're the only one that can take it. And wouldn't this be a great day to do that? In a moment, we're going to sing a number of songs. And so we're going to have an extended response time today, and I'll be seated right over there in the second row. And if you need to make a decision for Christ, or if you need a time in ministry, someone to pray with you, just come up here and find me right over here. And, uh, but before we get to that time, 
Now let's bow our heads together and pray. Father, we come this morning and uh, we, we give thanks uh, for the manger. And uh, more than the manger, we give thanks for the Son of God, that you loved us so much that you were willing and he was willing to come and save us from our sins, be born into humanness, into the humility of being one of us. He came in the flesh that we might, that he might show us the way to live, but then also show us the way to die, knowing that it was not death, but that it was eternal life. And so, Lord, we, we lift this time before you, and we pray that Jesus' name would be lifted up, that it'd be honored, and he would be praised. And, Lord, we pray if there's someone here this morning that needs to take a step, that the Spirit would lead them uh, to do so. We pray it all in Christ's name for his glory, for his kingdom.